Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. We're back with more Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce Levine and David Haw. Tell me about the team, the kind of team that you want to build. Well, I, I want to I have a team that knows how to prepare on a regular basis and plays to win. So we do have some players that do that and they go about their business the right way. But I think our, certainly to win on a consistent basis and give what our fans want, it starts there. Welcome back inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio 6-7, the score, David Hall, Bruce Levine, here for another hour processing the Cubs collapse, talking a little White Sox now, We're trying to Connect with Steve Stone, Bruce. It's been a long, long season on the South Side. They sit there at 61 and 99, and I think that it's hard to fathom them avoiding 100 losses at this point. What does it all mean in your mind? The fact there's no, it's only a, a number, it's only a statistic. It doesn't matter to Pedro Grafol, but is it different to you? Does it hit you different when you look at 100 losses and if they achieve that that low point? You know, uh, being out at uh, uh, Guaranteed Rate uh, this week and uh, talking to people around the team, uh, people that work there, you know, that people have been Sox fans for 30, 40, 50 years, they were, uh, some of them, rooting for the 100 losses, okay? And and why, you know, and, and I ask these questions, you know, people, and the reason generally was said, we want this to stick out to ownership and management how bad we are and how far we have to go, okay? And we want them to do something about it quickly, okay? I don't know if there is a quick solution 
to uh, this uh, problem? I, I, I don't think there is because I don't think, David, there's enough pitching in the organization right now to uh, hope for a, a quick turnaround for the Chicago White Sox. Um, but it can still be a team that the Chicago White Sox fans can relate to, and that is taking that Chris uh, Getz cut that we heard coming into this segment, you have to get players that uh, seem involved in the game, that know how to play a team game, that will move runners along, that look like they have a baseball IQ. You have to have those type of players to be able to uh, sell your team to the fans who are smart enough to know uh, watching White Sox baseball all these years whether or not is playing are playing together as a group or not. Well, I think they are smart enough to know, which is why I was a little bit baffled and maybe disappointed when we heard from Chris Getz earlier this week, and he said he needed to take a little more time to establish whether they were going to try to contend in 2024 or hit reset and, and begin another larger rebuild. Bruce, to me, it's obvious, isn't it? They don't have the prospects. They don't have... They don't have uh, an obvious path to the playoffs in 2024. So doesn't rebuilding make the most sense to you? And isn't that one of the reasons you hire a 40-year-old general manager? Yeah, it, it is. You know what? It is a rebuild because look at since uh, Kenny Williams and Rick Hannett were let go, look what uh, Reinsdorf is doing with the team. He's real rebuilding a front office, okay? So this week, after Chris Getz was hired 10 days ago officially, uh, this week, you have, uh, it's been maybe two weeks, but this week, what you have is seen is hiring a new assistant general manager in Josh Barfield, hiring a new director of pitching in uh, Brian Bannister, hiring a new, hiring a new director of, um, of uh, per, per professional scouting, okay? Uh, these are things that are um, what they're doing first. So there's a rebuild of the organization first, then a rebuilding of the, uh, the teams, the players, the scouts, the coaches. This is a, a complete organization flush, okay? It's complete. Well, it should be, but I just don't know if that's what I heard from Chris Getz. Because if it was an organizational flush and you were starting over, I think the answer would be easy. Bruce, they're not going to contend in 2024. Who's the rotation right now? And I think you go into this offseason in a position to sell as much as possible to replenish your, your organization with prospects that you currently don't have. And the starting rotation right now for 2024 is Dylan Cease, and a lot of question marks, a lot of definite maybes. And even mm -hmm. Dylan Cease is going to finish this year with more questions than you'd be comfortable with for a guy who is your ace. I still believe in Dylan Cease, but if you're Chris Getz, and I guess this puts a, a, a finer point on it, and you are hitting reset and you're going to have this grand rebuild, Dylan Cease now becomes uh, your number one trade piece to get prospect into your organization. So he might not be here either. Yeah, no, it's a great point. I mean, they... They had to decide at the trade deadline uh, whether or not, to, certainly they could have traded uh, Cease at the deadline and gotten prospects back. They had to decide at that point whether he is a part of this 
the ace of the staff or will be, again, looked at as a trade piece in the offseason? We could go back and forth all show long, but let's get somebody who is an expert on the topic, Steve Stone. And Steve Stone joins us on the Circa Resort Casino in Las Vegas hotline, home of the world's largest sports book. Good morning, Steve. How are you? Fine, David. How are you, Bruce? How's the show going? Going pretty well. Getting better now. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> Obviously, there's a lot of conversation. We're talking White Sox now. I do want to, before we let you go uh, during this segment, get your thoughts on the Cubs. But let's continue the White Sox conversation, Steve. When you heard from Chris Getz earlier this week, kind of say he wasn't quite sure yet if the White Sox could be in a position to contend in 2024 or if they were going to have a full rebuild. What was your reaction? Well, I think he's being practical because he doesn't really know uh, <clears throat> exactly how things are going to lay out. I think he has to figure out a couple of things. Number one, he has to figure out what the budget is going to be for next year. Uh, he will obviously know how much money he's getting back in guys that aren't coming back. I would assume that Grandal would be one of those guys, but there's probably a few others. And so you figure out just how much money you have to spend, and then you figure out how to do it. Then you take a look at your prospects, and you see how close they are to getting here and being impactful in the major leagues. That's always, uh, that's always certainly a consideration. And now you've just brought in three new guys to help in your front office, and they're coming from other organizations. They have a view of what the White Sox looked to them as competitors, now they're going to have to judge what the White Sox look to them as people who are trying to help this organization get to where they want to be. So I think there's some evaluation to go on before you say, yes, definitively we're going to be contenders, definitively we're going to spend X number of dollars. Uh, you really don't know that, and I think Chris is being, um, he's being very cautious, which he should be at this point, because making pronouncements in your first couple of weeks on the job sometimes come back to bite you and Chris is a pretty smart guy so he doesn't want that to happen I I applaud the fact that they're going to do a full evaluation of just exactly what the Sox have what they need what they want going forward and only when they do that will they know exactly what next year is going to look like Steve what do you do with Tim Anderson uh, here, here are your choices uh, Tim Anderson 14 million dollar option the White Sox have to pick up his contract um, I'll preface this by saying Chris Getz said to me and a, a, a group of other reporters this week that they will have not one but most likely multiple conversations with Tim Anderson before they delve into what the future will be, and that will be in November when they have to make a decision whether to pick up the option or not. Well, the one thing that I would say, and again, I'm not speaking for Chris or anybody else in the front office, but... I think uh, one way or the other, you have to pick up that option because uh, whether he's going to be an everyday player or not, whether he's going to be with the White Sox or not, uh, $14 million for an everyday player is probably the, the going rate, especially a guy who's won a batting title and a Silver Slugger Award. And then you have to make a determination on what this team is going to look like next year and where exactly, if you do bring Tim back, where exactly is he going to play? Is he going to play second base? Is he going to play shortstop? And that depends on who you're going to have at shortstop. So, yeah, Steve, well, let's get back. Go ahead, Bruce. Okay, I'm sorry, David. Uh, I'll just follow it up by saying I think he's somebody's really outstanding second baseman, Steve, batting a sixth or seventh in a good lineup, and that might not be with the Chicago White Sox. So from that perspective, 
if you buy into that, and I'm not, I'm not asking you to just tell me whether you think he's a second baseman <clears throat> or shortstop. I just don't think. I think his career would be benefited, benefited by the fact of moving away from shortstop, just being the 300 hitter he can be at another position. Well, I think he's going to be a much better hitter next year than he was this year. So I think as an offensive player, he's going to be very good. And then you have to address um, the problems at shortstop. And, you know, we've seen those same problems for a bit. And you have to make a decision. Do you have another guy that can move into that position? Is Colson Montgomery ready yet? And if the answer is no, then you have to figure out who's going to be a stopgap guy because you figure Colson's going to be the everyday shortstop. It's just a question of when not if. And so that becomes into the determination also. And, and I, I agree with you that, uh, that there's a lot of evaluation that has to be done as far as Tim is concerned. And if you do choose to bring him back, uh, then what position do you bring him back? And uh, he's played a very good second base. It could be that his time to play second is here. Joined by Steve Stone here and inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio 670, the score, David Hall, Bruce Levine, until 11 o'clock. Steve, back to Chris Getz. I really appreciate your putting that into perspective, his answer, and maybe what he does next and why he's being more deliberate and careful with what he says. So I'm asking you this. You could always use people in those positions can always benefit from experience. You've been around the game as anybody who goes to guaranteed rate field on a regular basis. If Chris Getz were to ask you, okay, Steve, if you had to give me any advice in my first year as the general manager in this big job that's new to me, what advice would you give Chris Getz? Well, certainly I, I would take a look at uh, a couple of different things that he's going to look at. I mean, he was involved with player development. I'm not sure how much he was involved with scouting, but I think that's something that they have to take a look at and see how happy they are with current first-round draft picks. And when you take a look at some of those draft picks and you realize perhaps uh, you can do a bit better as far as evaluating are concerned, I think that's one of the areas that they're going to have to look at. But with Chris, uh, the advice I would give to him is do, do a, a, basically an autopsy on this particular season and take a look at every aspect of this team and what it takes to be a Major League Baseball team. Uh, you take a look at the various aspects that you have from analytics, which I think is partially addressed with the three hires that Chris made, but also different aspects of what's going on, and that's scouting, player development. Are you happy with that? If you're not, then you have to go about and make a change. I would look at each and every one of what makes a major league team good at what they do. Take a look at the various things that Tampa Bay does, and to a certain extent the Dodgers do, and to a certain extent uh, – uh, some of the other clubs that have come up, look what Baltimore did. It took them a while, certainly, but when they started to hit on their draft picks is when they became really good. And also when they called up a catcher, and I understand Rutschman was the first pick in the draft, but when they called up a catcher, when the Giants called up a catcher, they both became substantially better. That's an area of weakness the Sox have had. That's developing catchers. And I think that's really important because there's two positions you can't skimp on defensively. The two positions are behind the plate and at shortstop. And at various times over the course of the last few years, there have been some weaknesses at those two positions for the Sox. That's something you can't afford going forward because those positions are non-debatable positions where you need some defense, especially with where the game is going. The game is going to more speed, more stolen bases, more take the extra base. Number one, you have to 
get that speed for your team, which is something the Sox could certainly use, but also you have to be able to combat that speed. And to do that, you have to be able to defend behind the plate. You have to have your pitchers understanding what various times to first base are, you know, uh, holding runners close, using slide steps, doing everything you can to combat the running game, which is something the Sox have not been able to do. They've been woeful in that department. The White Sox made a, a big mistake back in 2020 by firing three or four of their top professional major league scouts. Uh, they are looking like uh, they are trying to rectify that by bringing in Gene Watson, who has a great reputation to be the director of pro scouting. Uh, it, his title is player personnel, but it's it's to bring in better scouting professionally, major league scouts. He will do that. How essential is that? And, uh, you know, looking at the White Sox record of uh, signing free agents uh, over the last decade or so, uh, outside of uh, Hendricks and um, Jose Abreu, you know, and that it's an international sign, how, how far do you think they have to go in this area of not only bringing in these top scouts, but the front office listening to their advice. Well, this goes back to what we pretty much just talked about, Bruce, and that is every aspect of the game that you feel you're not as good as you could be is subject to change, and that's one of the areas that the Sox realize has not been near as good as it should have been over the last, I don't know how many years. So those are areas you have to make better, and each and every area you make better, you become a better organization, and that's something that the Sox – are going to have to do something that's not really easy, and that's trying to build a winning philosophy without actually having won much over the past, I don't know how many years. When you consider the Sox have won two playoff games since 2005, it's hard to get that winning philosophy, but that's something that Chris and his staff are going to have to do. And you do that by organizationally taking pride in what you do at every level making sure at every level there isn't one team in your league that can out-execute you. There's not one team in your league that out-hustles you. There's not one team in your league at any level that knows the game of baseball better than you do. And when you start to do that up and down your organization, eventually you develop guys that come to the major leagues, and they actually understand how to play major league baseball. They understand how to play winning baseball. They understand how to play every aspect of every situation so that they're not caught flat-footed. That's something the Sox have not been able to do, but I think will be able to do under Chris Getz and their new staff. I think we're seeing a, an added emphasis on analytics. We're certainly seeing an added emphasis with Chris on bringing people to the organization from successful other organizations and then letting them bring their expertise to the White Sox in areas that they need some shoring up. And I think that's what these guys are in the process of doing. Steve, I think there are fans on both sides of town that consider you – a friend, even though they never met you. They've watched so many baseball games with you in their living rooms or their cars or whatever the case may be over the years. And I think that, so at the end of a season like this, it's fair to, I think people wonder, how, how are you doing? How hard was this on you? And what reasons do you have or how optimistic are you? How enthusiastic are you about the White Sox moving forward? Well, I don't think that people really understand that uh, broadcasters for various teams really want their teams to do well because, number one, everybody around the organization is much happier when the team is doing well. Number two, it's easier to call baseball games when you're calling good, meaningful games as opposed to games that don't mean a great deal. And also, uh, you don't like to see games where 
execution is putrid. And we've seen that quite a bit, unfortunately, this year with the Sox. I don't think it's going to take that long to turn things around. I understand the needs, and the needs are, are many. And there are certain things that have not been addressed in years past that need to be addressed now, and I think there will be. Uh, we've talked many times about adding power. I mean, one of the things they did do when they traded away Jake Berger was take a guy who's capable of hitting anywhere from 25 to 35 home runs. That's all well and good. If you believe that guy you got back is going to be good enough down the road to start, trading Jake Berger is fine. But then you ask yourself, where am I getting these home runs from? Who is coming up to supply home runs? The Sox cannot be out homered in their home ballpark. It's a home run hitter's park. When you're out homered in your home park, as the Sox were, you're going to wind up under 500 at home. When you do that, almost inevitably, you're not going to make the playoffs. That's where the Sox have found themselves, out homered at home, and that's something you can't afford. Also, you'd like to see a few more meaningful left-hand hitters. Somewhere along the line, you're going to have to have left-hand hitters who can hit the ball out of the ballpark. The reason being, most starters in Major League Baseball are right-handed. Most number one setup men are right-handed. Most closers are right-handed. To short yourself from the left side doesn't give you an equal opportunity lineup that can really get it done, unless your two left-handers are going to be Tucker and Alvarez. If they're Houston's two left-handers that are just both wrecking balls, then that's one thing, but the Sox don't really have that. Trading a uh, one of the group away from the uh, quote-unquote guys that were going to be star players, the Jimenez, Mancadas, uh, Andersons, if he's uh, brought back. Um, where do you stand on that? Not just to trade for the sake of trading. Obviously, get value back. But uh, at this point in time, uh, should some of that group be broken up, in your opinion? Well, the question of, you know, look, I don't believe in anybody not being tradable. I don't think there's any untouchables on any team that hasn't accomplished what they want to accomplish. That's just my own philosophy because my philosophy is if you can make your team better by making any trade, make it with presupposing you're going to make your team better. Just to trade, to trade doesn't make a great deal of sense, although sometimes you find addition by subtraction, but I don't think that's going to come into play uh, with the current roster that the, uh, that the Sox have. So would you like to make some deals? You probably would. The question is, what are you going to get in return? And then you run into situations, boys, where a player is more valuable to you than what you can get in return. And then you have to figure out who those guys are going to be. So uh, right now there's a lot of soul-searching as far as the Sox are concerned in that front office and every other aspect of the organization. And depending on what answers they come up with, that's exactly what's going to be uh, when, when this thing is going to come together and how soon that's going to be. Last thing we have for you, Steve, given your experience, obviously I'm sure you have some thoughts on what the Cubs have gone through in September. You have probably seen this before in your experience. How would you advise a Cub fan to try to put this past month in perspective? And even though you're not watching every night and even though you have a job to, to do with the White Sox, what are your thoughts on why this came to this situation or how the Cubs got in this predicament? Well, I think you can look at a similarity on both clubs. When you look at what the White Sox had happened to them, you can see in a microcosm what the Cubs have had. When Alzole went down, that was very similar to Liam Hendricks going down, only with Liam Hendricks it was a lot longer time and it was cancer. It wasn't an arm issue, and then he came back and there was an arm issue. When you lose your number one closer, and Alzelay was able to grow into that, 
Uh, you lose him, and all of a sudden everybody has to slot differently. We saw it problematic with the Sox, and it wound up as being one of the contributing factors that flushed this season. As far as the, the, the Cubs are concerned, when Alzali went down, that made the back end of the bullpen suspect. And then you, you go to one of the things that I heard about from a really fine major league manager by the name of Jim Leland, and he said to me, remember something, the best pitching staff doesn't always win. The healthiest pitching staff wins. And then you look at what's happened to the back end of the bullpen as far as Fulmer is concerned and Alzali, and you see they've been hurt. They were integral parts of that bullpen. Then you had to rely on Leiter. And, you know, he's, he was very good in the job he was asked to fill, but in this new role it becomes more difficult for him. So as the starting pitching pretty much held up, the bullpen and the back end especially was wearing out. And I think that more than anything else is what's happened. And when you look at some of the positives, and I think the Cub fans have to do that, I don't know how many times you're going to get a Cody Bellinger coming off MVP years with another organization, falling on terrible times, only to revamp what he was with the Cubs. That's something that might not happen again, but because it happened, this was a year you wanted to take advantage of it. Now the question remains, what are you going to do with Bellinger? And that's for, uh, that's for the front office to figure out. But um, I think you can take a lot of positives from this year, but understand that over 162, boys, the best teams win. Short series, anybody can win. And when you have a deficiency anywhere, when you have injuries you can't replace, then you have a problem. And I think more than anything else, that's what's happened to the Cubs. Steve, you're the best. Thanks for your time this morning. Okay, guys, take care, and I'll talk to you. Have a good rest of the show. Steve Stone, score baseball expert, obviously the voice of the White Sox on NBC Sports Chicago. Great stuff there um, about the Cubs and the White Sox, Bruce, from Stoney. Yeah, obviously um, Steve has a perspective on – uh, baseball, spending his whole life there and watching Chicago baseball for the last 40-plus years that uh, very few people have. And, and he can articulate it so well. That's why you hear him on the score so often during the baseball season. David, when we uh, come back, I think we're going to talk a little bit about um, some other things uh, going on. But do uh, you want to take a break now or, or, or just... It's a good uh, idea. And we'll yeah. talk about some other stuff going on around, around the league, and we need to... Um, uh, take a break now, but when you come back, we'll talk about the playoffs. We'll talk about some more Cub stuff. We'll talk about some things that may have been overlooked this week. It's inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio 670 to score. We're back with more inside the clubhouse with Bruce Levine and David Haw. I think that's an, that that's easy to let happen, but I know, I know this group and the adversity that we faced all year. It's just it's kind of our DNA to just continue to fight and grind. That's who we are. Um, that's what's made. Um, you know, this year so so amazing uh, in so many ways. Just uh, this group being able to really come together uh, in moments like that and really grind and battle through things. And, uh, you know, if we uh, would, would, would let things affect us, we wouldn't be in the situation we are right now. And, um, you know, it's been a pleasure so far. And I know that we are uh, looking forward to two more opportunities to obviously put ourselves in position to make playoffs. Welcome back. It's Inside the Clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio 6-7. The score, David Hall, Bruce Levine until 11 o'clock. That was Dansby Swanson, as disappointed as you feel, uh, talking about the Cubs' third walk-off loss in a row Friday night at American Family Field in Milwaukee, 4-3 to three losers to the Brewers. Carlos Santana walk-off double in the 10th. Bruce, Dansby Swanson clearly, clearly struggling at the plate, three for his last 21. 
not afraid to stand up in front of people. Uh, and we talk about accountability. He even used the words, he said, just playing bad, which I own. You respect the guy that owns what has happened. And it's hard to explain, but he's not hard to find. And I think that it tells you that it's one of the reasons this Cub team became so likable, even though things are not ending the way anybody wants. Yeah, and you know, you, you just pointed out something that, that's really smart, David, and he's not hard to find. He's always there to stand up and take responsibility, good, bad, or indifferent. That, that's part of what leadership is. It's not the responsibility to me or the other media people. It's the responsibility that he, he takes on of being a spokesman and a person uh, that's accountable on that team. You need three, four guys, five guys like that on good teams uh, to take the pressure off of the front office, take the pressure off of the manager and the coaches, to be able to call their own meetings when things aren't going right, to be able to go up to a locker when he sees a teammate struggling, put a hand on his shoulder and say, what, can, what do you want to talk about? What can we do about this? We're here for you. These things are, uh, you know, suggested but not really talked about this much as how essential uh, this type of leadership is on a team. Something that was horribly missing uh, on the Chicago White Sox this year. And uh, I, the first guy you look at uh, is, uh, you know, Abreu, who people say, well, he wasn't a verbal leader. No, but all those other things were there for all the players and uh, just his work ethic, ethic and, and availability for everybody else was there. Those things are essential if you're going to have a winning organization. So they said there would be no math on this show, but mathematically this is the only way the Cubs can get into the playoffs. They need to win the remaining two games in Milwaukee. That's number one. Number two, the Marlins have to lose all three of their games, including Monday's resumption of their suspended game with the New York Mets in New York if necessary. Number three, if those first two things happen, the Reds have to lose one of their two remaining games, and then and then the Cubs, who have lost 14 of their past 20, and on September 6th had a 92.4% chance of getting into the playoffs, according to Fangraphs. Only then will the Cubs continue their season in the playoffs. I don't expect it to happen, Bruce. I don't think anybody in Chicago does. And you're going back to Milwaukee tonight. You're going to see Jordan Wicks take the mound. What do you expect from this Cub team that is limping t- to the finish line? Well, you left out one other uh, uh, improbability, and that is I'd like to be 6'5 and blonde. Okay, but, <laughs> but, the, but, but all those other things, as you add up to it, uh, look, I, I expect the same uh, team to show up. And you talk about things that people can look forward to in the future. How about Wicks and the fact that he has shown up so big in games? Even when he had a bad outing uh, two outings ago, uh, it scored, uh, you know, in the first two innings off of him, and it was ended up being a loss. But he comes out and uh, on Sunday night baseball and throws two shutout innings before they have to take him out because of pitch count. There's there's a lot to like about uh, Wicks and, and the future for, for him and, uh, you know, some of the other players on the Cubs. But, I, you know, again, the one thing I like most about the Cubs on the record and off the records as I walk through the clubhouse and talk to the people that I've gotten to know on this team uh, this year, there's no excuses, okay? Right. Nobody makes excuses. Uh, certainly, guys get upset. You can talk to uh, bullpen guys uh, from time to time, and they'll say, you know, I'm 
I'm, I feel like I'm not being used in the right position. I'm not being used correctly. You know, all the things that you use, you know, you do when you, uh, you, you hear from people and they, they have your trust and, and they know that it's not going anywhere else. But uh, again, accountability is, you know, we talk about that word and it's overused right now because it should always be there for the professional athlete. But in the case of the Cubs, it, it truly has been there. Um, when they were playing great baseball and getting themselves back into this uh, race for a wild card of the division, you didn't see a lot of gloating. You didn't see a lot of people, you know, banging their chest and saying how great we are when they lost. Uh, they took it professionally and came out, came back. And, and they're doing that right now when they know that most hope is gone. Bruce, did Marcus Stroman make his last start for the Cubs on Thursday night? You know, I'll answer that question, David. But uh, the question is, are people in the Cub organization hoping that's his last start? Okay? <laughs> I think that's the question, you know. And again, I don't mean to be... To be nasty about it or redirect to be cute. I'm telling you that there are some people that have, were disappointed with Marcus Stroman oh. here, okay? I, and again, we don't question his injury or injuries, but they were disappointed in him. Some people in that organization would probably prefer that he decides to become a free agent. If you have to ask that question, you already have the answer. Because if you aren't sure then you are sure. You know what I mean? If you yeah. if you have to wonder if it's a debate, then it's like, okay, let's hope he does opt out because we need to move on. We have young pitchers coming up. We can afford other options. And this season started so well and he wanted to control the narrative. And then, frankly, the narrative got out of his control. So the same question might exist about Kyle Hendricks. Different scenario, different stage. But was last night the last time we see the professor in a Cub uniform? It's a great question, and while I was while we were talking to him last night after the game, that was going through my mind, and I said, you know what, Levine, this is not a time. This is not the time to ask that question. It's about asking the questions about the team. I can ask him that question Sunday, okay, if things don't work out. But certainly, uh, this could be that they, they have an option left on Hendricks. It's a very friendly option. I imagine it'll get picked up, but we don't know for sure. Uh, in the case of Stroman, I'll be at his locker as well because the assumption was when he was an all-star and being one of the better pitchers in the National League early in the year that he was going to walk away from his final year as a Cub, that he was going to use that to catapult into another three-, four-, or five-year deal that would give him a, net him another $100 million. Uh, right now... Does the guy go back and say, well, that's not my philosophy right now. I have to rebuild my, my process. I'll take the $21 million that they owe me for next year, and I'll become a free agent again after 2024. Last quick question before we break, Bruce, pitching-related. I'll follow up on the rotation questions moving forward. Jordan Wicks pitches tonight. Cade Horton's a minor league pitcher of the year. Will both of those guys be in the 2024 starting rotation for the Cubs? I think at some point they will. I don't know if Horton starts the year as a uh, as a Cub pitcher in the rotation, but I think at some point he makes his way there. I think he still has to build up some more innings for them to feel good about it. But, David, the scouts I talked to outside of the Cub organization have told me that uh, this guy is, you know, the next 
who do you want to call it? He could be the next, you know, Roger Clemens. He could be the next, you know, uh, uh, Scherzer. They feel that strongly that this guy is uh, far and away, stuff-wise, one of the top young players in minor league baseball. When we come back, I want to know who Bruce's team is in the postseason if the Cubs don't make it and what other things he's looking at around the league. It's inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 to score. We're back with more Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce Levine and David Haw. You all were patient. You tuned in night after night, hoping for a moment like this. The 1-1 to story is grounded at third. Ramona Rios from third. The Orioles have done it. Go crazy, Baltimore. You are the new champions of the American League East. Welcome back. It's inside the clubhouse. Chicago Sports Radio 6-7 to score. Wrapping things up here. Go crazy, Baltimore indeed, Bruce. The Orioles clinched the AL East. I am rooting for the Orioles in the American League. This is our last show of the regular season. As we enter the playoffs, as we know the Cubs are unlikely to get in, I am rooting for the Orioles in the American League, and I am rooting for anybody that plays the Braves in the National League. Anybody but Atlanta against the Orioles in the World Series is fine and dandy with me. You hate Ronald Acuna for taking that base off of... Hate's too strong. Hate is too strong. He annoyed me. He annoyed me. Yes, anybody but Atlanta. A-B-A. How many players would you trade for Ronald Acuna if you could get him on the Cubs or White Sox? I would love him if he's on my team. I might have even started doing a little jig in the dugout if I were on his team. But you know what? He's not. And that wasn't the time to do the tear out the base and have the video montage in the 10th inning of a game that meant something. Stop it already. So... The Braves, forget it. The Orioles, that's Brandon Hyde, Joe Madden's first base coach, the guy who comes from the Cubs. He's been a friend of the show. Brandon Hyde, I want him to be a World Series participant. Baltimore is an excellent team. Uh, I I think they have as good a chance as any. Uh, In the National League, you know, it's normally the hot team uh, coming in that's that's prepared to do this. I, I just... I, I don't know how you get by Atlanta. They do have some pitching issues with their starting rotation that could uh, throw a, uh, you know, it, it could hamper their chances. But you see that lineup, that lineup, 300 home runs out of the Atlanta lineup. They're going to set a, an all-time record. You go one through nine, there's not an easy out. Not only not an easy out, but they can all take you deep. I, I just, I think Atlanta is just too much for the National League. So I'm looking for Atlanta-Baltimore. And, uh, you know, how it turns out, I don't know. I, I hope for a good playoff uh, run here for baseball. I think it's been exciting in cities where they wanted it to be with the wild card, you know, this time of year in Miami or Arizona or Cincinnati right now. You would normally be just talking NFL, and they've had an awful lot of buzz going on with uh, baseball and their teams possibly making the wild card. So, from all of that, you know, I'm a baseball fan first. I'm hoping for a great offseason for Major League Baseball. I agree with you, Bruce, in terms of in cities that has been good for baseball because it extended the excitement level. I wonder this, uh, before we get to any other things you want to get to as your last point, does the Gabe Kapler firing by the Giants have a ripple effect 
throughout the league. Do you think that was something that, you know, suggested anything that other teams may look at as a basis for their decisions? You know, it's a great question. I think the uh, Craig Council situation is the wild card for everybody. Craig Council is considered, if not the top, the top two or three managers in all of baseball. All, all you have to do is look at and see how he's handled things in Milwaukee on a shoestring, uh, getting the very most out of bullpens and players, uh, just having well-run uh, you know, teams for all these years that he's managing there. The, the, the thought from the people I know around him is that he might take a year off. He wasn't able to get the contract he wanted with the Brewers, so it looks like his, his future with Milwaukee is murky. Uh, that could all change if Milwaukee does the deep dive into the playoffs and ends up in the World Series. Everything could change. But uh, I, th- I think the council situation is one people are looking at. He's being rumored to be going to the Mets. He's been rumored to be going to the Yankees. Uh, they're talking about changes possibly with both New York managers. San Francisco is always a, uh, an attractive place because of the fact that they have great revenues. They've run that thing pretty well over the years, and it's, uh, it's an attractive uh, place to show up. So I think... With, uh, with Francona retiring, uh, the idea that uh, this guy is the best manager in baseball, he's the wild card right now. I think that's a great call, Bruce. I'm a big Craig Council fan. I know that's not a popular uh, thing to say in Chicago, but I have a ton of respect for him. I do agree. Sean Sears says he might be the smartest manager in baseball. I would not argue with that, and I think whoever he manages next season is going to be in a position to feel like either it's a contender that's going out and hiring the best coach available, the manager available, or it's going to be with the Brewers and he's going to make them into a contender that they already are because this is a quality guy and a great manager. So there are a lot of people to thank, Bruce, but let's start with you. You're working hard this weekend. You're going back and forth to Milwaukee. You lined up this show, and I really appreciate your hard work and all that you bring and all that you've brought, frankly, all season long to what's been a really fascinating inside the clubhouse on Saturday after Saturday mornings, 9 to 11. And it's not going anywhere. 51, 52, 49 <laughs> weeks out of the year, we do inside the clubhouse, David and I. We'll be back next Saturday. People to thank Steve Stone, of course, for a great job. Sean, Sean Sears, terrific job. People can follow me on Twitter at MLB Bruce Levine on our website, 670thescore.com. David, looking forward to maybe off-season baseball, talking Cubs and Sox with you next Saturday. Have a safe trip to Milwaukee. Thank everyone for listening. It's been Inside the Clubhouse on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.